0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest uh, today uh, showered for the podcast, not knowing podcasts were audio only. That's the kind of... Actually, it says something really great about how immersed you are in what you do. Why trifle with things like how podcasts work, even though you you do many podcasts, you and Alan? My guest today is the brilliant Michael Bamberger, uh, who is uh, arguably the finest sports writer currently working. And if you're a friend of mine, who's a sports writer and you're listening, uh, I said among so that your feelings wouldn't get hurt. Uh, Michael Bamberger has just, uh, written, uh, a new book about Tiger Woods called Michael. The second
1: life of Tiger Woods, Brian, that was, that was very artfully worded because you know, how sensitive we sports writers are despite the, uh, You know the odd couple and every other cliche that's come down through the years about you know what clouds we are, so nicely worded.
0: Thanks, man. No, I do. um, I do know because when I covered the Masters for Sports Illustrated that couple years back, I wrote something uh, about the way I noticed sports writers talking amongst themselves, and quite a few of your brethren uh, were. Uh, annoyed at me for that and i thought it was hilarious how you know as someone who's my work is as yours is is written about all the time and um I've learned to just roll with it and not judge someone personally. But I could tell, man, sports writers do not like if you do what they do to them.
1: And, and we condition like nobody's business. So it's really the ultimate in double standard. <laughs> Brian, I have a vague memory. I enjoyed reading your stuff when you were down there. I think you were hanging out with Chris Stone and and others. It was a nice time. It was probably about two or three years ago now. And I have a vague memory, but tell me if I have it right, that you particularly enjoyed watching the writers at the trough. Uh uh, in, in, enjoying the the uh, the catering courtesy of Augusta National was that part of your bit?
0: Well, no. You took me. You took me to lunch there. I don't know if you remember. We I sat do. down, and Davis Love came over to the table, and um, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you, you guys all talked about that a lot, but but no. And this is gets us right into the subject of the book because no, what I really noticed was the writers uh, all acting and saying they were so upset about the dominant position in the story that Tiger had, that everyone acted like uh, affronted at uh, all this uh, Tiger Woods attention and the, the the crowd caring about Tiger, who in their minds was finished. Uh, yet, uh, Tiger's mere presence made everybody's uh, job feel uh, relevant and alive and everyone needed tiger and everyone needed steiny and they hated the fact that they needed him and i was fascinated by that and i imagine that that power dynamic fascinates you as well having read your book incredibly closely
1: well that's uh that's a that's a great insight and uh i i think it goes now, Brian, you're 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 younger than I, but do you remember Willie Mays this last year with the Mets at all, or is that before your really time? Really well. No, I okay. remember it
0: really well. My dad took me to a bunch of those games. Oh, uh, OK.
1: I mean, so that's the same story. I mean, here you have a 500 team that's struggling. It turns out, you know, they made it to the World Series that year but uh, under Yogi Berra. Uh, but Willie Mays, you know, batting 202, was the dominant figure of that team. And you can imagine Joe Durso and Steve Cady and Red Smith and the guys covering the team is like, wow, I can't believe I'm still writing Willie Mays after all these years. And then 20 years after the fact, it must be like, wow, can, how cool was that? We covered Willie Mays in his last year. And, uh, you know, that's, that's always been my attitude about Tiger, even though he's been a very challenging subject. I'm just speaking for myself here. I understand a little off topic from what you were just asking. But just speaking for myself, I have always had the attitude of, yeah, it's a challenging subject. Yeah, how lucky am I to cover Secretariat, not just for a two- or three-year period, but basically for 20, 25 years now, actually.
0: Well, yeah, and that's clear, and we're going to talk a lot about that. I, w- I want to stay, though, because of uh, – I-, I want to talk about a slight distinction in the Willie Mays-Tiger Woods stories. It seems to me that the reason perhaps those sports writers uh, – Felt that way about Willie Mays was this idea that they weren't into the nostalgia, they weren't into this uh, pretending that this guy who was having a hard time in center field was still Willie Mays. With Tiger, I felt more of an anger from the sports writers about Tiger, and a, res- a kind—I felt a kind of a, a huge split between the audience at the patrons at Augusta, uh, the fans at home watching on the internet. And the sports writers themselves. It seemed to me that the sports writers had a particular anger at Tiger that I can't imagine existed uh, around the lionized Willie Mays. And I'm wondering—you uh, get at this a little bit in the book—but I'm wondering what your take on that is. Why there is this level of uh, resentment about the position? At the same time, everyone acknowledges all the money he brought into the game. But why is there a particular kind of anger directed at Tiger and Tiger World from the majority of those who cover the game?
1: Well, the, the very interesting observations, Look, and I'm and I'm happy to address it. But let's just edit it just slightly from my end, not from your end, to not use the word majority because I really don't know where the fault line would fall. But having said that. There's definitely a deep truth to what you're saying for some percentage. And I wouldn't want to try to identify the percentage because I wouldn't know of uh, people who feel that way. I think part of it, Brian, might be that you, you're old enough for this for sure. And I'm older yet. we fell in love with a game in which Tiger Woods was not a figure. Then we'd been in the game when Tiger Woods was a figure. And and then we'll be in the game, we hope, at some capacity, long after Tiger is done is done competing. So there's a little bit, or maybe not a little bit, there is resentment of Tiger that he carried himself as if he were the game uh, when it's not true. And part of the actual charm of Arnold Palmer in particular, but you could really say this of Lee Trevino and, and Jack Nicklaus and Tom Watson and others, is that in almost every gesture, in almost every public gesture they had, There was an underlying understanding that they were not bigger than the game. And with Tiger, that wasn't really the case. Uh, Do do, do, do you think that addresses some of what you're interested in here?
0: Well, I think it does actually reveal um, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, But I would suggest that it ignores that the game actively tried to keep people like Tiger Woods out. And oh, so no I understand completely why Tigers uh why Tiger in the same way that people were annoyed that they thought Serena and Venus weren't gracious when they were young. I completely see uh power race and class at play here. And I feel even I feel um that all I thought about when I was at Augusta was race, power, and class in a way that surprised the hell out of me because Augusta is one of my favorite. Objectively, Augusta is one of the most magical places in the world to me. I'm in love with it in many ways. And then walking the grounds I and being by that big tree that you describe that whole scene so incredibly well, Michael, you are... I, I, I really want to talk about the way you write. It's uh, tr- really... Um, I think you are, it's beyond state of the art. I mean, I think there's a reason your books will last a very long time. But I do think that this power dynamic, there's uh, this old guard idea about the game. Look, you you make, as I said to you uh, uh, in an email, you uh, make quite a few allusions in the book that are designed to appeal to people with various levels of engagement in The game, popular culture, literature—it's a real testament to what you do that you've written a book that can be um, uh, that rewards multiple layers of of reading. But you kind of casually referenced the way that uh, Palmer would enjoy himself off the field, Uh, without saying anything. Again, you know, uh, but you—if people know the stories, they know the stories. Yet all that behavior was sort of excused, and in fact. He was protected by the sports writers. Uh, you would not think that he and Jack acted any differently in those ways. Yet Tiger is wholly considered differently. Do you think that's fair?
1: Well, it's not fair. And I agree with everything you're saying. And uh, and I'm sometimes too maybe subtle in my, in my own writing and in, in, in expressing some of these things that you've just really... Hit, hit the nail on the head on Let, let's just go back to race power class for a second race yes. power class is the underpinning and the foundation of how augusta national got got built and created and the myth of augusta national what has happened over the years in my opinion race power class has been subsumed by um elitism and a sense of noblesse oblige by which the club says we open our doors for a week and, you know, if you ha- if you have a super duper press pass like I have and you can go wherever you want in the clubhouse, that's one level. And even if you can only, quote, just walk the grounds, well, you're the insider inside of insiders. And for that week, even let me say, I hope this is fair, liberal minded people like like you and like like I, I would say um, almost put that in <laughs> like in a closet so we can just enjoy the majesty that you just described, and Tiger flies in the face of that not so much because of Tiger, not so much because of the example of Tiger's own life, but really because of Earl and Tita's life and the fact that they raised this child to be accepted and to become the most powerful person in a sport that's been dominated by rich wasps for for most of the 20th century in the United States. And and we sort of lose track of the overall story. So there is so much going on in that one week. And then the doors close and then they sort of go back to leading uh, the lives that they lead. Right. I'm just going to I, I want to let you get right back into it. but I just want to tell this brief thing quickly. So, as you know, Tiger won his first Masters at age 21 by 12 shots in his first major as a professional in 1997. And and I was writing for Sports Illustrated, and that night um, I wrote a piece about how, with this victory, Tiger Woods had become the most powerful person in the game in the game of golf. As it happened, a couple months later, I was a guest, uh, an overnight guest, in the home of an Augusta National member. This is in his home in South Florida. He pulled that clipping out. He had like, you know, those old fashioned EB White type uh, heavy wool. See, In in the middle of the Florida summer, he's wearing one of those shirts, the heavy pockets of the whole thing, like a CP almost. And he takes it out of one of the two L.L. Bean pockets and he reads it back to me. And he says, and it says, you know, I wrote like, you know, the green coated members would have to cede their power uh, to this kid. And he said. You dare to come into this house after writing that? And I'm like, oh, my God, what have I got myself into here? But it was just really, really telling that. And it's like everything in life. And you, you know, I mean, you write this weekly uh, when, you're, when you're writing billi- Billions. The people who have the power do not want to give it up. But to keep the power, they have to ha- give little dollops out here and there and let people rise to some degree or else there's a revolution. And a revolution is bad. So I don't know. I'm going on a crazy tangent here, but you've what you said triggered a lot for me.
0: Well, yeah, because because Tiger as a figure. Uh, uh, so there's a there's a sentence in in your book, and and I'll say, Michael, I don't know if 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 you listened to the episode of my podcast I did with Armand and his partner, when they wrote the other Tiger Woods book, but it, I, it, I didn't. But I, I
1: noted, I noted somewhere that you said that it was a very challenging
0: interview. It and was it, the most contentious interview I've ever been a part of, and right. uh, and I really respect uh, Armin a lot. I think he's a great journalist, but I had real uh, problems with uh, that book because I felt it. And I'm not, I'm not going to. I know they're friends of yours, and published by the same uh, uh, people, but. Uh, I felt their book was a, a, an excellent document in in many ways, but uh, it lacked the love, the sort of um, uh, uh, the sense that this was a Greek hero and a Greek god and a Greek tragedy. And your book, I think, has so much love and regard for the game and for uh, the particular challenge. Uh, that Tiger Woods was that the path Tiger Woods was set upon from a very young age. And that's why I loved your book and I've given it to many people, even though I, I there's one sentence in it that I felt was uh, maybe the only one sentence I felt wasn't true in the book. And I really want to ask you about this sentence because I think you choose your sentences incredibly carefully and you uh, i don't have the book in front of me so i'm going to paraphrase but the the sentence was that to you tiger uh, never was a hero you didn't look to him to be a hero you looked to him as somebody who uh, could do an incredibly uh, impossibly hard thing under incredible pressure over and over again and that was enough but i would suggest that you reference shivas irons right from the beginning because to you and to the reader of your book Tiger is the kind of hero that the Greeks wrote about, a deeply flawed, godlike figure brought down by, by by that very flawed character.
1: Wow, Brian, I can't even begin to tell you how much I'm enjoying this. Okay, Michael Murphy's heroes – well, not Michael Murphy, but Michael Murphy explores Joseph Campbell's hero's journey – uh, in his life, uh, way beyond, and, and in Shivas Irons. And, my, my and, Nicole, in,
0: Michael Murphy wrote Golf in the Kingdom. Shivas Irons is the main character in that book. That book, um, half of it, and I love that you pointed this out, half of that book is just one of the greatest things you could ever read. For me, the second half I can't deal with, but the first half is, uh, unbelievable. And it's, it's about the sort of apotheosis of, uh, the platonic ideal of, of a golfer. Okay, go ahead. So okay.
1: So, uh, uh, and, and, and what you speak of the hero's journey, I mean, that is the Tiger Woods story and he does, uh, he does go out there and in the hero's journey, uh, uh, the hero, uh, uh, falls at the hands of uh, At the hands of women At the hands of power At the hands of a lot of things And still finds his way back But just to be Just to go on a technical level No, Brian that, that You paraphrase the sentence Very very capably Very accurately But no, I would absolutely stand on that In other words um, Oh, I know you don't want to go All over the lot here But I would sure, review Sure, I, I would review the Wallace Shawn character In my Dinner with Andre more heroically than Tiger Woods, whereas you wouldn't look at Wally Sean's character there and say, oh, what a hero, because he's not doing anything very exciting or offlifting. But I wouldn't – it would be almost unimaginable for me to look at any sports figure. Maybe Roberto Clemente would be an example in in truly heroic terms. Uh, But having said that, Tiger's ability – to inspire and to excite and to allow us to transport ourselves from our ordinary everyday lives. Um, It is heroic and we need that uh, in our lives. But I guess it's just a little bit of the Greek classic definition of hero versus the everyday use of hero. Uh, Red Smith was one of my, well, I just was about to use the phrase and I'm going to use it. Red Smith
0: yeah, you, want to, you, want, you want to want you want to
1: tell the people who okay Red Red Smith's famous comments within your time.
0: Yes, uh, until um, the late Dan Jenkins passed away, Red Smith was the most oft cited late. Uh, sports writer, the right. one that inspired, you know, even uh, your Mike Lupica's uh, all woods and, and all the great sports, writer. Gary Smith's would all cite Red Smith as the great sports writer.
1: No, I grew up reading Red Smith and I was just about to say he was my writing hero. He's definitely is one of my writing heroes. I know you want to make a deal with writing later. But the point here being that I just was about to use the word hero because I so aspired to be, you know, to have... Uh, just to follow Red Smith's steps into uh, clubhouses whatever it might be. But anyway, so I guess Tiger Woods, I don't really think of um, heroically. And that, I sort of lost my own th- th- thread here for a minute. But j- just to go back to, to – Ar- now, Armin, by the way, you know, I don't know either of those guys. Um, uh, I did read their book with a lot of admiration for the report- for the reporting that they did. Um, but as you pointed out, and I'm not saying this critically, I'm just saying this as, as an observation – that book was not written with a deep level of empathy because they really didn't know their subject like you know tiger and like I know tiger because our starting point is we love golf and we know how hard it is um uh anyway uh, I'm I'm sorry Brian I feel yes. like I No
0: that's a no you have, no, no this is up Michael this is great we're we're getting we're getting to this question because I, and I want to stay on this hero thing because your book is it's one thing to yes, we can cite the hero journey and and uh, by by Campbell. It's in a very important book, and and um, you reference it, and you reference, you talk to Michael Murphy about it. But the book is I, I have three different thoughts, so I'm going to say them all, and we'll keep you and I can be as discursive as we want. Why not? We're comfortable with that, and not, my audience is totally comfortable with that. So they're used to me being discursive. So. One, I thought of, of course, Public Enemies line, uh, and this is one of the great things about your book, right? I, you, whether you, all over the place, you are throwing lines and allusions that make someone go somewhere. So, of course, I thought of Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me, right? And, (laughs) uh, uh, but on the other hand, uh, the book is a study of a Greek of a heroic Greek figure, like you do structure the book in that way. You start in this moment of loss, uh, of, uh, all of the, the last vestige of innocence of Achilles. You know, you start with the moment that it all gets torn away and then you allow us to, uh, be with him as he vanquishes all opponents, even the good man Molinari. And so we, we get to see all this stuff, uh, happened on a hero's journey and the empathy I'm glad you used that word it's clear you have a- empathy for this tragic hero so it, to me the a, a tragedy the sports writer's version of the greek tragedy is these are people and this is what i noticed and this is why i'm sometimes glad that i you know that was obviously a path i could have taken and i'm i'm glad in many ways i didn't because as much as i love doing it when i get the chance to do it and i actually think it's why bill simmons changed. That's why I think, uh, not you personally, but a bunch of your breed hates Bill or hates what Bill did or hates the notion that Bill is Tiger Woods to sports writers. Bill changed the game. He's more important than the game. And I think it drives sports writers nuts because Bill was willing to say, yeah, these guys are heroes to me. He did never lost what I think so many of you are proud to have lost, which is this idea that the mere fact that they can do these impossible things makes them heroic,
1: right? Um, you know, and just to go back to the, to one of your original early themes here, uh, I think there's a resentment. There's an underlying resentment of Tiger in that he never really gave the writers much to work with in terms ah. of in terms of spoken words. Therefore, fuck them. And that has, ah. my my attitude has been. Well, he's given us a tremendous amount by what he's actually done on the golf course, and it's our challenge to figure out how to exp- how that to turn that language language of the uh, the rip five iron from 240 on the 15th hole Sunday at Augusta, uh, hole high, going down the hill and toward the to to uh, to turn what he does and how he expresses himself. Through the actual playing of shots and then his own body language to, it, to, to express that to the audience uh, in, in, in meaningful ways. So so that very the, his stinginess with words in a press conference is a starting point for resentment, in my opinion.
0: Fascinating. I remember standing um, in that little area by, what do they call that area by the big trees That where the players give their interviews af, right yeah, outside the locker Yeah, just room. the tree
1: outside, you know, under the tree would be- Under a, the, the tree. So I, I,
0: I remember standing um, under the tree and watching Bubba get interviewed. And someone asked him about Sergio's putting the balls in the drink. And you describe all that beautifully. Someone asked him about it because it had just happened. And, and he looked at them and he said, this is a very hard game. How come you guys just never like, acknowledge how hard this is? And I think your book does an incredible job, dude, of articulating what it takes to execute this game well. And, and, and I guess this is what I want to ask you. If the difficulty of golf, having to master yourself in the way Chivas Irons and Michael Murphy talk about, if it does reveal character, which I believe you think it does, then what does it tell us about the man Tiger Woods and his heroism? And if it doesn't reveal character, then what are we doing thinking about it this much?
1: Well, you know, I've devoted... An ungodly portion of my adult life to the very question that you're asking. And you won't be surprised at all uh, to know that I very much feel that golf does reveal character. And that's why, along with baseball and a few other, you know, a few other things in life, uh, I I could spend a lot of time uh, uh, writing about it. Um, Let's leave the rules aside, because I think that it's almost obvious how how the rules of golf uh, are an ethics test, really. Um the playing of golf at my level and your level and Tiger's level is essentially the same act. And if you, you know, let's say you and I are playing a challenging course, uh, Baltus roll whatever it might be, and we're trying to break 90. Yes. The emotional challenges that we're going through on our, in our, on our walk to the clubhouse, you know, we can talk about Chaucer and Canterbury Tales because there is that element of golf as well. Are pretty much identical to the challenges of trying to get to the house at Augusta National, knowing that 276 is either going to play off or win. There really is that mu- that much difference. So I so if uh, if Molinari can't keep his ball dry on 12 and 15 as he could not, my starting point is. I've been there, brother. And now somebody else is saying, What do you mean you've been there? You know, you barely qualify for your club championship. Well, I've been there because I know the game is hard. The ball is still, completely still, doing nothing. You're standing over the ball. And it's this weird blend, mind body blend, that allows you to propel the ball. In a certain direction, and it is loaded with imperfection, or the you know the prospect for imperfection. In fact, pretty much they're all every shot's imperfect uh, uh, to, to, to varying degrees. And so, when you when you take that all together, it is a challenge and a test of one's character. Can you rise above the physical and mental problems presented in playing the shot with that ball at your feet, doing nothing? and achieve something now you have all sorts of other character tests how are you going to deal you know let's say in tournament golf especially how are you going to deal with your playing partners who are both your friends and your enemy how are you going to deal with that golf course which is both your friend and your enemy how are you going to deal with the rule book which is there to protect you and screw you at the same time so there's so much swirling it's just like baseball where you know people say uh you know, baseball's so slow. Baseball's so slow until you realize how fast it is because you have to make so many adjustments so quickly uh, to play the game. Well, golf's the exact same way. There's such a swirl of stuff going on all the time. It's actually amazing that these world-class golfers can get around in you know three forty-five in time for uh, sixty minutes on Sunday night in a normal uh, Masters year.
0: And, and so then, so if we go back and read the. The, the Greek tragedies there yes they may be the gods or they may be figures uh, who are uh, uh, um, royal uh, they may um, be put to tasks that feel uh, like they are life or death but ultimately often it is about uh, duty, obligation expectation uh, and and character flaws revealed and and that's what we call he- heroes, right? The, the, the question I guess I-, I would ask you is, isn't it heroic in any sense other than that which, you know, someone goes to war does, you know, sacrifices for someone else? which is quite, you know, other than other than people who, uh, you know, on the front lines in, in the world of medicine, basically, uh, or the small acts of kindness is not something we see every day, isn't in our culture, in the way it normally exists, especially in a pre-sort of uh, COVID-19 world, isn't it a stand-in for heroism in some way? Isn't that why so many of us, not you, I'm not, love Tiger Woods, adore Tiger Woods in like the old sense of the word adore.
1: Well, yes, I think th- I think that's true and I think we uh I mean t- t- a very simple take for me on what you just said is we could look at Eisenhower Heroically for what he did in World War II. We look at Eisenhower heroically for the creation of the interstate highway system. That's allowing us to get our food on a daily basis uh, uh, right now. Teddy Roosevelt for starting uh, the national uh, uh, park uh, system and service uh, that, that we enjoy today. You know, th- those would be big, grand examples of noble, heroic behavior. The, the example of Tiger Woods, of course, is a much more narrow one. But I would say, and this is the very ordinary Sports fans' experience, he lifts us by his example, and uh, and I think Brian, I certainly don't want to want to speak for you in any way, but I think what what maybe you're picking up from the book is what I feel is that Tiger's life example is heroic because of this sine curve thing that we're talking about: up, down, up, down, up, and it's doable. And that, but we need the example. We need the example.
0: Yes, that's why I would assert that he is a hero to you, even though you state overtly that he's not. That's all okay.
1: I would I'm with all, you. Um, I am But I I I I know you've made a you've made a great point, believe it or not, I would write that sentence again only because I'm using hero a little differently than you are, but now we have a much more nuanced conversation of what constitutes heroism and that's yes. Correct. And by the way, I mean this is such a cliché, but you know, <laughs> And Any character from any Bruce Springsteen song written before 1975, and he's got the lunch pail job, and it's boring, and it's monotonous, and he could lose a finger at any moment, and he comes home, and he's got insurance, and he's got food on the table, and he can change his own oil, obviously, that is an American hero, too, because look at the example he's creating for his two kids and look, whatever. And, and oh, the Bruce pro- is
0: a perfect example. Okay. But Bruce is a perfect example. And I want to stay with this because this is why I think so much of this, not, I think you do a, a I do want to talk to you about Bobby Jones's grandson and why we great grandson and why we give him great grandson or great grandson, Doug, uh, just grandson. So his grandson and why we give him such a, a microphone, but, um, because of the race question and class question, but, you bring up Bruce and it's a perfect example. So Bruce is a true hero to me. I got to have dinner with him huh. this year. I got to have dinner with Bruce this year and it was um as I haven't I I you know um I was saying this to my wife and kids recently like I I still haven't processed it. it was 5 months ago and I still really haven't processed that I got to have dinner with him. But Bruce himself has stood on a stage and said, "Hey, I'm not as noble as the guy" I want to be in the songs. He wrote a book about it. He over and over told us in so many words, hey, I used to, he, he actually said it in the storytellers, right? I went to strip clubs. I would sit outside of them and want to be a different guy. I'd want to be the Bruce that the songs make you think I am, but I'm not quite that guy. I'm a more complex, difficult person. And that's the price maybe we all pay for the fact that I can do this thing I do in my art. Yet Bruce is considered a fully... Uh, it's fully uh, credited and acceptable to just adore and love Bruce, uh, knowing by his own admission he was unfaithful at times. He wasn't the best, dad, you know. He uh, fucked up a lot. Do you, yet with Tiger, maybe because of the nature of golf, maybe because of the fact that he's black uh, and Asian in a white man's game, the, it seems to me that. Uh, Every time we hold him up, we have to say, but, 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 but in a way that we don't often do that for other kind of figures of his stature.
1: Brian, you you may be onto something that I haven't given enough thought to, and I will, but I I would say the same for Bruce as I would say for for Tiger that I would say for Johnny Carson. Um, The missteps for Martin Luther King, for JFK you know, for your father and my father, for you yes. and for me. And I don't mean to say all men there. I don't know why that group is all men because.
0: Well, the, I, think the Georgia, well I think there's, there's some a reason. there's We don't know
1: that much about Georgia O'Keefe, but, you know, <laughs> she, she might be on the list too. But but the point I'm trying to make is, you know, we go down into the spectrum and we catch a Bruce show and we're transported and we're lifted and we feel like we can do a little more something with our lives that is a heroic act, and I would say watching Tiger go from where he was on that Memorial Day, two thousand seventeen. I know some of your listeners will know I'm talking about, it and some won't. But where he was to where he was, that is a heroic journey. So I'm not shy at all about using the word heroic in that sense. And I, I, I we've we've discussed already. You know, my one use in that one sentence. But no, I'm, I'm I'm totally I'm totally with you, and I feel like I probably. i i I need to probably think more more about it but i think you're very i think you're very much onto something
0: this is why i love your book though man because it raises these questions the great thing is you you put that sentence in there but then you take us on the journey michael before you and i met i was such a giant fan of yours because of the book you wrote about m night Shyamalan. Uh, I found it to be, and, and, and there, are, um, there are certain parallels. Th- that book, the, say the title of that book, please. I don't have it right here in front of me. It, well,
1: The Man Who Heard Voices is the name of the uh,
0: book. I, so people who listen to, to this podcast should read that book. Uh, it is one of the greatest, uh, for me, it is one of the greatest documents about what happens around powerful people. And about what happens when uh, somebody believes uh, the reasons for their success uh, had to do only with them, and in fact that their success is proof of their infallibility. And um, like you know, later on, much later, Knight made a comeback, uh, similar to uh, t- Tigers, perhaps. But what is it about these kind of figures that attracts you? Uh, so much, do you think? How do you pick? Because you've written very personal books, Michael. You've covered a wide variety of uh, athletes, but you don't write quickie sports books. You do not write a sports book, uh, even if you write them fairly quickly. They're not quickie books. These are books that it's clear you really think about thematically. You really think about the voice you're going to use to tell the story. You approach your subjects with rigor and empathy. How do you decide where you're going to put that particular portion of your energy, that fully immersive part of what you do?
1: Well, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to guess, Brian, that it's it's similar and different uh, to what you do. But let, let, let's say in your case, I don't know if you were broke or not, whatever your your, your station in life was at that moment. But you're sitting in a room, I think you did it with somebody else, and you have this idea that turns into rounders. In other words, a guy in a room sleeping on a mattress, you know, well, most people sleep on mattresses, um, and then just by his own will turns it into a movie that moves, I would guess, probably millions of people. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, you know, regardless of the fact that he grew up in an affluent family and all the rest, you know, that's not immaterial, but let's leave that aside. Um, he goes to a funeral, and he sees a kid talking to himself, and he imagines the kid saying, "I see dead people." And he takes the phrase and turns it into a script that becomes a movie that becomes um, yes. uh iconic. Really, uh, uh, Tiger Woods born under these atypical circumstances. Uh, you know, black father who you know lived through racism, who went to Vietnam who who found the woman who became his wife there who have only one child and that child is Tiger Woods and you take that child when that child was born that child's world ranking on the world you know on the world golf ranking was you know number 3.3 billion and you know 20 years later that child awesome. was number 1 in other words so that path of awesome. what the, yeah. what the individual can do with one's life uh i realize i'm saying nothing and everything here But I guess that's what I'm drawn to. You know, here's a, here's a, this is kind of crazy and kind of similar. Um, We are all, but I think about this really probably every day. We are all granted just short of 24 hours every day. That's a given to every person on on the, what in God's name are you going to do with that 24 hours? What you do and what I do and what, you know, a dope dealer does, and what someone who's, you know, fighting alcoholism does, and what somebody who's on the front, you know, uh, the front lines of this uh, of this epidemic, it's all going to be very different. But I, well, this is really an aside, but this gets to my reporting life. One thing that I found helpful in my reporting life is to the starting point being is that we all have these twenty four hours, and what are we going to do with them? So, like, I once got to meet Barack Obama very briefly, and it just occurred to me, like well, what the heck has the guy done today? You know, did he go, it, was, it happened to be in uh, Martha's Vineyard. So I you know, now Martha's Vineyard is surrounded by water. I said, did you get in the, you know, President Obama, who was sitting president, did you uh, get in the ocean today? And it turns out that he did and he told me about it. But anyway, uh, I think I'm probably not really answering your, uh, your question, but I'm I'm just very drawn to the idea that um, a person has a problem in his or her mind, a goal in his or her mind and then, and this is a critical component, actually does the work to achieve something. Uh, and I know you do that in your life, and I try to do that in my life. And I would say uh, Night Shyamalan and, uh, and Tiger Woods and many others do it as well. Along the way, I've developed a sort of sub-interest in people who try really hard and don't quite get there, and it doesn't really
0: matter. That's Yes, that's also fascinating for sure to think about and how do you as a as a storyteller because you're a masterful storyteller man how do you decide and when in the process do you decide how you're going to tell the particular story and what i mean by that is the kind of language you're going to use but also the narrative endpoint in, in other words when did you make the decision okay i'm going to start by telling the story of these officers who arrested tiger how and i'm going to do it in. A, I, i'm going to do it in a language that uh, uh has some police procedural in it in the beginning and i'm also then going to do it in this language that uh is the the sort of michael bamberger way with with words how does how does that all tone tone voice and narrative structure when and how do you decide those things how much of it is instinct and how much of it is um, intentional craft
1: well, now, I, I I hope I'm not overdoing it here, but just to go back to Bart Giamatti, because he is one of my heroes. And I always, when Bart's name comes up, I I, I always say that. Uh, uh, Bart Giamatti, when I first knew him, was the president of Yale University. His wife, uh, Tony Giamatti, was, uh, she taught journalism at a, a private day school in New Haven called Hopkins. And I, I was a kid out of college, and they were Sort of larger than life figures to me, but also especially if you take that, you know, well, they've got 24 hours given to them too. Uh, just sort of people going through their life too. But anyway, one of the things Bart was very interested in, in journalism in general, and 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 that's really was the foundation to the degree we had a friendship. That was the foundation of the friendship. And one of the things that Bart would say is the language of the subject should dictate to some degree, not completely, to some degree, the language of the writing. Now the reason that is coming to mind w- w- was that clear, Brian?
0: Yeah, that's clear, and I, I I'll say I, oh. I, I wish I'd gotten to know Bart Giamatti. You know, I love Paul so much, and uh, anytime I've heard him speak of his dad, it's it it makes me know what a an incredibly special man uh, he he must have been.
1: Right. Okay. So um, uh, so the so the language of the subject uh, dictates the language of the writing to some degree. We're not going to say completely, but to some degree. Okay. So in this instance, now a friend of mine, th- there's a dick joke on, on the first page of the, on the first page of the book. And, and a friend you know, maybe thinking about how his wife might read the book, or I'm not really sure what he's thinking. He said, you know, like the book, but why'd you have to tell the dick joke on page one? Well, because it's, because it's tiger, because that joke is part of who tiger really is and even when tiger has flights of fancy or is doing something with his kids or is raising money for his foundation i want you to remember that he is very comfortable with the dick joke uh uh so uh so that Uh, would be are you
0: you also aware in that so i got to ask about that moment because okay again i think this thing you do which is I also felt you were p- perhaps doing that uh, to remind us that uh, the first big sort of public problem Tiger ever got in was at the magazine shoot when he was telling off-color jokes. Right. And right, and, and even though you don't tell that story in the book, but that, uh, if you might reference it briefly, you don't really tell it, but to me, I read that opening line and I was like brought back to Tiger at 22 years old. And I felt like you were letting us pick up from there with some sort of a reminder. Was that in – is that intentional? In other words, was that in, in your head also?
1: Well, it, uh, not, not that specifically. Now that you're mentioning it, I think, I think what you're saying is very true. I can't say I was thinking that specifically. But just that I didn't want um, – I didn't want any reader to lose sight that, you know – this is sort of a locker room guy. He is a jock. Uh, he's been in all male environments, you know, all, all his life. I just didn't want you to lose track of that uh, uh, for a minute. So, uh, so so, that's part of what picks up the – just part of, of, of language choice or what, how you might write. The idea that, uh, that this was a life in Acts, um, you know, the, the book is, as you know – uh, well, it's it's sold almost like it's almost like it's a pl- almost like it's a play, and um, because that's really how I see life in general and Tiger's life in, pati- in particular. And I'm focusing here really on a two year extraordinary two year period uh, that does begin with this police procedural and basically ends with him, uh, you know, getting a, a green jacket put on. Picked, picked, picked on his shoulders and it did seem, uh, operatic and theatrical. And, uh, so it just kind of lent itself to, uh, 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 to that path. And then j- just to go a little further down that, that road for a minute, uh, you, you'll know this name, but many of the listeners won't, uh, Frank Cherkinian. Did, did you know that of course. name? Well, of course. Yeah. Of course. Okay. yeah of so course. Frank, Frank Cherkinian was a longtime producer, of the masters. I've told this many times, but, but many people, people have always, heard
0: it. people always say he invented, they, they will always say he invented golf on television. That's he what golf and, and
1: I've said that forever. And, and I'm paraphrasing. He's a Philadelphia and I got to know him a little bit. Um, he would say the, the masters, you know, you know, others wouldn't, you know, there are three really sui generous golf tournaments, uh, the U S open, the British open and the masters. Um, and the Masters to Turkinian that was his baby. And it was the greatest of all tournaments because it had the most extraordinary stage, the Gus National Golf Course. And it was and it was built, it was a three-act play unfolding before our eyes with the Thursday, Friday round is act one, the Saturday round is act two, and the Sunday round is act three. And the protagonists uh, were whoever happened to play well that week. And if it was Charlie Cootie and Gabe Brewer, great. And if it was Tom Weisskopf and Arnold Palmer, better, but you know, or not, or not necessarily better. You know, it was all good. He whatever you know, he's like Red Smith. You know, God is good. God will provide. Somebody's going to win this tournament, and their life's going to change because of it. And he was going to tell that story. Uh, so anyway, so I took cues from Cherkinian, from my own love of theater and movies and and that kind of storytelling, and um, and that just sort of dictated. Uh, uh, the, the structure of the thing, I've got a very close friend, the actor, David Morse. And, um, have you ever worked with David Brun?
0: No, but you know, Paul's manager, Perry yes. manages David as well. And yes. I think David's a, an incredible actor. I'm a yes. huge fan of his. And,
1: and, and David played George Washington when Paul played John Adams in that series, uh, uh some years ago. So David and I have worked on some things over the years and, uh, and we're actually trying to do something now. And I said, well, what about the boring part in the beginning? And he said, "Yeah, there's not going to be a boring part in the beginning." And I'm like, "You mean we're going to start with something interesting right from the beginning?" He said, "Yeah, I think it, I think that's better than having a boring part." I said, "Wow, that's really good. I'm going <laughs> to run with that." So anyway, so you know what it's like, Brian. We do the same thing in different ways. It's like you steal from everybody, you learn from everybody. It's like when, when Curtis, when Curtis Strange was going bad, they'd say, you know, "Well, what's Curtis doing with his golf game?" You know, he won two U.S. Opens. I've heard from two-star U.S. Opens. I've heard from years. And they're like, uh, "Curse is taking tips from Delta Cabs." you know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll take from anybody. And, you know, I, 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 I'm sure you're the same. I, I read all day, every day. And you're not, in my case, I'm not consciously once, I'm not consciously learning the craft of writing while I'm reading. I'm just reading. And in the reading, you're, you're picking stuff up all the time. And so, you know, what's that yeah, word? You're, you're growing I, all, all the time in the re- yeah.
0: I, I, Yes, of as, course, as yes uh, you are um, yeah, you have to be reading all the time. if you're a writer, you have to be watching stuff and reading um all the time. and I agree with you, you're not consciously picking stuff up, but you are you're you're learning. and um, I certainly felt that way uh, reading your book. I want to ask a couple of other questions. So, in the world of, of of golf, there is. Well, I'll say it this way: as I just to return to this idea that for me, I, as much as I glorify and love the Masters and watch all four days, you know, I'll do anything I can to watch all four days of it, and I could talk about it. Not you know, you and Alan know a thousand times more about it than I do, but I could stay in the conversation, and um, I've read a lot of books about it. But wh- why did why did you decide? To give Doug Jones such a big voice in your—is that his first name? Doug. What's his first name? Uh, Bob. Bob Jones. Uh, Bob Jones. Sorry, Bobby Jones is grandson. Why did you decide to give sorry, Doug Jones is the uh, senator? I got confused. Uh, why did you decide to give uh, Bob Jones such a big voice in the book? And and I and and I would say this is the only part of the the only part of the book that I actually uh, you know I I still feel that nobody gives. When I was at Augusta, I felt walking around there, I felt the legacy of racism, I felt the legacy of classism. I felt in every step in the smiles and i'm friends with I'm friends with some members of augusta. Uh, I, I, I think the world of a couple of them um, but I can't walk around there without feeling this oppressive. Uh, like you said, sense of, hey, we're going to smile at you so hard to show you in a way how restrictive this place is, how it's ours, not yours. I watched billionaires that I know th- through my research look with eager eyes, like the eyes that uh, Al Pacino uses in Donnie Brasco to look at the mob boss, just wanting some member to give them the nod that they'll be able to come there and stuff. Uh, and when you read the books about the starting of the, the place and, and the culture and the legacy, uh, I did feel like, well, gee, Bob Jones has a lot more to answer for than that. And it, and it felt to me like when you're writing a book about a black American, that perhaps we all should always mention how Tiger kind of stuffed their legacy in their face. And why that makes it even more, uh, uh, even more of an incredible uh, uh, thing that he came back to do this. Well, Brian, I'm I'm with you, and
1: uh, and I feel it as well. And I, I can answer the Bob Jones part uh, in a minute, but just what what you're saying brings so much to mind. Um, I feel the exact same way. I, the other day I was driving, you know, when the when the when the pandemic sort of broke open. I certainly did. I was in North. I was in greater Jacksonville, covering golf tournament, the players championship. I certainly didn't want to get on a plane. I certainly wasn't in a rush to get home. So I made a meandering drive home and I stopped at Augusta and I wanted to drop off actually a copy of the book for, for a woman uh, there who had been extremely helpful to me. And, uh, and I just, was going to bring it to the front gate and leave it there. Well, they have these bollards that say pronounce that word that would prevent you from going down the driveway, which they call Magnolia lane to the clubhouse. Right. And, uh, I would have had absolutely no desire. I maybe in part because I've done it so many times in my life and I don't need to do it again to go down the driveway the, or, you know, Magnolia yeah. lane. And, you know, in other words, it, it's uncomfortable for me. And I've, I've been there as a guest a couple of times. The first time I went there, I think it was in 1990. And it, in that period, all the caddies were black, you know, maybe not every last one, but pretty much. And they carried, uh, they carried just one golf bag and, um, and they wore these white coveralls. Yeah, and and uh, it's uncomfortable. It's I'm not comfortable. It there's there there is a feeling of the of I don't know plantation really. Uh, 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 but, yeah, but so, then
0: in the in the book, my, Bob Jones basically gets to say, "Well, my grandfather wasn't racist," and we kind of leave it there in a way.
1: Well, huh, I don't. Uh, Bob Jones, the grandfather, grew up in a time and, and place where you couldn't not be a racist. Um, right, he was. It, I, I mean, was it's so pretty clear pervasive. that he was – yeah, it's pretty it clear so that perva-
0: – It was yeah.
1: so pervasive in his culture. Um, uh, you know, it would be like, you know, if, if I look back at some of the embarrassing – Things, you know, I have heard and likely have said about uh, whatever I wouldn't even really want to get into. It. In other words, you, you and I in our lives have evolved in terms of our language and our attitude about this issue and that issue. And and Jones uh, Jones would have as well I, to, to the very specific question. Here's some, he, about Bob Jones, the fourth and using him in the book. Well, here's a man who's who worships his grandfather, who sees him in heroic terms, who's become a clinical psychologist, who has in, probably, in many ways, the same a similar skill set in terms of courtliness and warmth and yes. looking at the big picture, and he represents a tremendous evolution uh, over his grandfather, while acknowledging. Um, uh, who his grandfather was that let me just make a quick side trip here to a few years ago I was writing about a man whose father was the first greenkeeper slash superintendent at Augusta National and in that day the now they call it a superintendent but back then they would have used the word greenkeeper and that's just the person who maintains the golf course the um uh, and, uh, and they had a house on the golf course. So this man, who's now in his late 80s, his backyard was the Augusta National Course. Now, huh. just as a quick yeah. aside, when you think about where we are right now in this weird moment, the Augusta National Golf Course during World War II, with, in part of the war effort, was literally a cow pasture for the raising of cows to get milk. Uh, there were garden, in other words, you know, yes. so... What, what we're going through is really unfortunate, but it's a blip compared to what, you know, our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation went through. Anyway, this man uh, grew up with the Augusta National Golf Course as, as his backyard, and he was friends with caddies at Augusta National and from the, Augusta, from the abutting neighboring Augusta National, excuse me, Augusta Country Club, uh, many of whom were black. And this man, in our conversation, used... You know the most heinous word, one of the most heinous words, if not the most, heinous, in our language to describe his black friends. And the question is for for me was, and I wound up quoting him. Uh, that's my memory uh, is that I did. But it, and Brian, you may not feel comfortable at all with what I'm going to say. No, say it, please. Oh, um, he was an ignorant man who grew up in a time and a place, and so uh, uh, now Jones was not an ignorant man who grew up in a time and a place, uh, but he still, cre- but, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up going to a, uh, a conservative synagogue, um, on Long Island. There was no room in, uh, for an openly gay person to say nothing of a, you know, a, 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 a transgender person, uh, in that community. Now it's, of course, you know. Uh, of of course, uh, we're you know the doors are open. Uh, uh, we, you know, we're all God's children. What, what town but,
0: did you wait? What town I, did you grow up on on Long Island? In, in Patchogue,
1: on the south shore of Long Island. Um, so I guess I guess I make a broad allowance for uh, evolution of thinking. But I think I think to your specific question, I think Dr. Bob Jones. First of all, I think he's an insightful, smart person who's watched who knows Jones's examples, watch Tiger closely, and just offers uh, insight that I might not have had myself or crystallized ideas I might have had myself. So he was, he was helpful uh, in that regard. And I think he also represents, uh, you know, what happens in, uh, in succeeding generations. And curiously, um, not to get too deep into the woods here, but you, you know, and many of your listeners would know that, that Augusta National was founded by two men, Cliff Roberts and Bob Jones. And in a power struggle late in Jones's life, Cliff Roberts froze out Jones, um, and sort of really in, in effect took over the club himself. And I'm going to use the word again. One of my golf heroes, a man named Sandy Tatum, um, Brian, would you would you be familiar with that name?
0: No, I don't know that name. I I've read the I read the the big amazing book about the two, those two men and how they started Augusta, but I don't remember that name. Tell me. Yeah,
1: no, Sandy Tatum. You would Sandy Tatum is after them. He's he's Tom Watson, sort of godfather figure. Um, he was a lion of, of San Francisco, a former president of the USJ. But anyway, but but Sandy Tatum wouldn't join Augusta National because uh, yeah, yeah. Be, because of. Uh, of how Cliff Roberts handed, handled uh, Bobby Jones late in Bobby Jones's life. But anyway, I guess um, I, I may, now the other day, a, a guy wrote a wonderful, nice story uh, about me in the book. And, and one of the things he said was, you know, Bamberger doesn't do rage. And it's interesting, you know, like when I wrote the book about night, one of the things he said was like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm most interested to hear your take on my process. And, you know, wow, that's real. No, I don't get that very often, but I did get it. So when the guy wrote Bamberger doesn't do rage, I thought, wow, that's a really interesting sentence because like, I don't really do rage and I know a lot of writers do. And I just, I don't know, I don't have the gene for it. I have more the gene for, let's try to understand, let's try to understand why people are the way they are.
0: Sure, I would would just say, um, and again, I want to restate how much I love the book. Um, It's a book I know I'm going to read a second time and uh, I don't read many books a second time. I want to read it again just to appreciate sort of the way that, that, that uh, it's written because it's written so beautifully, uh, but but I would say in the same way, Ed Wallace tells that Foster Wallace, David Foster Wallace tells that story uh, about the water. For me, the thing is, you're at uh, in golf. The water itself that that we don't notice is all of that stuff, and that's why. Uh, uh, and I think that's why, to me. The mere fact of so when I was at Augusta, I spent a lot of time watching Catilda. Uh, right. I, when I was there, I remember uh, walking with tigers. You know, at a, a uh, at Augusta, unlike at the other majors, just so people know, um, most sports writers are not allowed inside the ropes. You have to watch from outside the ropes.
1: You, you only at Augusta, you can't get inside the ropes. Right.
0: So at, at when I got to cover the PGA at Page, um. Uh, I was inside the ropes, which was an inc- just mind boggling experience. But at um, at Augusta, I was outside the ropes, and it's very challenging to get looks at 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 um, where people are. And at a certain point, I decided. And I remember, Catilda was wearing these Merrill. Uh, I remember the shoes that she was wearing as, and I remember thinking, she uh, Tiger's mother is the kind of person who considered the terrain she was going to be walking to follow her son. And I remember they were these black, a certain kind of meryl that um, I then bought. Actually, I have them. And I remember thinking, okay, she bought these utility shoes to walk and follow her son with this sense of purpose in this environment that did everything it could to keep people like them out. And I guess for that reason... For me, giving Bob Jones and the legacy of Bob Jones a voice in Judge, the way you use him, which is very effective in the book, uh, uh, sort of as a, uh, a stand-in professional to talk about the mindset, was an interesting choice, a curious choice, because he brings, whether we want him to or not, he brings that legacy of exclusion to the table
1: and as and as you know brian it, this is an american thing this golf is this idea of golf as a, uh, a, a a sport to uh to separate people where of course in scotland it actually lit you know where the game was basically uh fa- founded and, and nurtured um some people think it was actually invented in holland but leaving that aside um as an ice game but leaving that aside the uh it's a very egalitarian game, and they don't have they, – they have a handful of, quote, elite clubs, but even those elite clubs are basically open to everybody on certain uh, times. So, so this has been an American – a yes. very unfortunate uh, American development uh, in the game. Uh, when Knight hired Paul just, – just to go on your shoe thing about Tina for a minute yes. – when Knight hired Paul for Lady in the Water – um, Knight was in a restaurant and Paul's coming down a set of steps and he sees Paul's super sensible brown shoe. And, <laughs> Knight's, and Knight's like, that's my guy. And this was at a point in Knight's life, he could have literally of hired course. Tom of Hanks course. or Tom Cruise and he hired Paul Giamatti. And the thing that the trigger point for him was the shoe. Okay, that's one. Two, regarding Tita Inner her shoes, people have asked me, what was the single most impressive thing to you about being at the 2019? Team Masters. I'm going to give you a slightly longer answer than what I typically do. do. Uh, do um, okay. I happen to be, by pure happenstance, in a downstairs. I was on the golf course. I like to be on the course, but at some point, you can't really see what you want to see. So late on on that Sunday, uh, I got myself into the clubhouse, which I can do. I've got a special pass for that. And right next to me, by coincidence, was Tita, um, Erica, Tiger's girlfriend, and um, Tiger's two kids, a guy named Rob McNamara, who's one of Tiger's right-hand people, and various others. So I was watching Tita watching the tournament, and they're all sort of on edge, and Tita is just sort of taking it all in. And then there's this woman, probably in her mid-70s, dressed very sensibly because walking a golf course is a challenging thing. And she goes over this black chain. Well, you you know that you know the the, uh, the architecture. You're out of the clubhouse. You walk over this little lawn. And she had to go over this black hanging chain to get sort of off the uh, let's call it the backyard of the club onto the golf course proper. She got over it with no problem at all. Um, you know, in other words, you can see she's about ba- she had good balance. So she's an athletic person herself. And then the single most powerful image of that entire tournament for me is there's a little raised hill if you were looking at the green from coming up the 18th fairway and there's the green and if you look to the left, the left, there's a hillock, let's call it on the, on the left side and all these people around and Tiger's going to win the tournament and all hell's going to break loose. And everyone's in that pre-party mode, like, you know, Times Square on uh, yes. uh, yeah. new year's night and they're ready to explode. And, and I'm watching her watching Tiger and she's just taking it in huh. and she's still She's still and golf requires stillness. So uh, I don't recall the shoes, but I can guess she's probably still wearing your black Merrells or the Merrells. But um, but, you know, the whole the Merrells, that's the start of the uh, of the uh, the sense the sensible, (laughs) you know, the whole just this
0: whole sensible being. Well, I love the yeah, I love the well, I was just want to say I love the uh the way the book talks about her. Uh so many of the things written about Tiger ignore her. And you really make it a point that he's as much her son, if not more, than Earl's son.
1: Yeah, and, and I think Earl and um and and Jeff and Armin do this extensively uh in, in their book. Um it's very easy to go down a certain path with earl i've heard it many many times earl was a racist earl was a misogynist earl was an asshole well if you ever were around earl and tiger together you can see it even in some of the clips that exist on youtube there was a deep loving relationship between the two and uh just a great bond and uh and I think, as and by the way, I got this from Arnold Palmer himself, but I think I would have made the observation myself. It took Tiger a long, long time to bury Earl. We don't know, yes. none of us know to what degree we're playing or working or writing, whatever we're doing, you know, with some kind of nod to of our course. parents, of to try to please our parents. And what, one of the things that made this victory so special was that uh, it represented post Earl major the first really you could say in my opinion you could say uh, post Earl major where he's doing it uh, well really for himself and with his kids watching and you know that's
0: uh, I love that part of it too I really I I really loved it um, uh, just a couple more things this went longer than I thought Michael because your book is so fascinating to me and um, so I, I, I hope you're okay that we went a little bit over an hour here um, two more This is co- a this is a vacation, Brian. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad. Uh no, I mean look, it's uh, obviously I, uh, the book really like triggered a lot in, in me. Um uh why does your loyalty as a writer uh, I, I was so interested in how you wrote about Brandel Chambly and Johnny Miller, who I think are two of the most hot button figures in the sort of the world of golf and Uh, You made it a point to talk about how smart Brandel was, and I thought it was interesting that you did that uh, sort of right in the shadow of Brandel having publicly been so wrong about something. And uh, in a way, we would, I think, hold an athlete to a different standard if they had just uh, missed the foul shots to win uh, the... uh, the championship, and, and to me, Brandel, like, you know, uh, shot two air balls uh, with no time uh, remaining uh, to lose th- the championship in uh, the way he talked about, you know, the world's best golfer. So talk a little bit about what, what it is that you, that you appreciate about uh, these kind of commenters uh, about the game.
1: Well, I, you know, I don't do live TV. I'd be lousy at it. But I would say of of Brando or Johnny Miller or really anybody uh, who's doing it, uh, what you said earlier about uh, when the writers are asking Tiger about Sergio and Tiger's response is golf's hard. You know, I think being a commentator is hard too, and uh, I think you know you're 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 on a tightrope, and you're going to blow some. You're going to get you're going to get some wrong, and uh, uh, I, I, as long as you are authentic and honest about what you're trying to do um i'm basically fine with it now if you're just doing it to be provocative well that's disgusting uh but i don't believe Brandalls doing that i think Brandall brandon gets things wrong he gets a lot right and uh but basically he's a you know a, a very informed knowledgeable caring golf person and uh now, if I ever thought he was being provocative, just for sake of being provocative, I'd have a different feeling. But I, I don't have that. And Johnny Miller, is brand old times three because Johnny Miller, he is not. I am not using this in a light way. Uh, I'm using it in a light way, but I don't intend to. But it's almost like he's on the spectrum for golf. In other words, um, he yeah. just understands golf. Uh, you know, he may not understand. The personalities, he just knows what it's like to try to win and knows what it's like to lose, and he knows what that ball sitting in that lie is going to do, and he knows that it's hard, and he brings all that to it. So, you know, I I love Tim McCarver when he used to do baseball because he had that same quality. You know, he's actually been there. He knows how hard it is, and, you know, we don't, and he's describing it uh, to us. Um, So, uh, But uh, but do do you find that my view of of too is too gentle or too – Accepting- well,
0: I I no I'm, I'm I'm sort of fascinated by by Brandel. I think he is really smart. Uh I I really um I have a different take on Johnny Miller than you do. For me in the last 10 years of his broadcasting career, I think um he got off on being extra negative uh in in a way. And I think that look, I think all the golf experts, the uh I'm going to at some point have the time to do this, but I I will say I remember very clearly when tiger um became uh, declared that he was uh, a pro and made the tour uh, was going to go and play those seven tournaments they asked like 100 figures either in golf or golf digest they asked like 100 golf figures how tiger was going to do many golf writers and when he would win his first major and stuff and everyone was in a little box. There was like the face of the guy who said it and then a little box and every single person predicted it would be years and that he was much worse. Like all the experts thought it was impossible. And I've spent a lot of my life um, railing against the supposed gatekeepers and experts. And in my world, you know, my foundational story is that rounders was rejected by every agency. Oh, wow! So uh-huh. I've lived this over and, and, you know, Tracy Chapman, who I worked with when I was young was rejected by every label. And so I've lived this over and over again, watching the experts not want to accept this, the newcomer into, um, in, into their world. And, and so in a, in a way watching Brandel talk about Brooks, because Brooks, uh, also like tiger wasn't going to play the game in the language that Brandel grew up wanting to put on the game brooks is entire approach and so yes i felt by the third major Brandel should just shut the fuck up and uh. go this is a game i know you know like that comment he's playing a game i don't recognize i would have much rather Brandel say i don't know I don't understand what this guy's doing, but obviously he's beyond what I can understand. So I'm going to sit back and watch. Uh, I would have preferred that
1: personally. I, I, I've, I've had a very similar moment where Brandel will go crazy about the position of Tiger's right foot in follow-through. <laughs> and it's like, Brandel, this guy's won 15 majors in 82 championships. He must be doing a lot
0: Right. <laughs> well, that's, listen, that's a great place. Unless there's anything you want to cover well, that I didn't get to. Well, I think. You know, if you
1: don't mind, I'd if you don't mind, Brian, if you don't want to go this way, I totally
0: understand. Let's keep going. I'm happy to what, talk. What, go ahead. What,
1: what would you like to still, what would you like to achieve in the game in your, in your own life as someone who plays, as someone who watches, as someone who writes?
0: Well, I find golf so hard fit um and while making the TV show it's really difficult to become decent at it again i was never as good as you man i got my the highest the best i ever was was an 11.3 index so mm-hmm. that's not really a good golfer that's just somebody who can break 90 basically mm-hmm. um and i played to that for a number of years but i can't play to it anymore uh what i loved is last summer i played out in the hamptons at a public court. i, I went to the hamptons and friends took me to incredibly nice golf courses. But the best times I had were when my son and I would just walk to Paxabog, the nine-hole par three. Know, well. We would just carry our bags. Neither of us likes using a, a pull cart. We would carry our bags and walk two or three loops there. And honestly, that experience, which is the closest to the Shivas Irons experience in a way, you're carrying your own bag You're playing in a place that isn't really manicured or that nice. There's the stakes or the say, as you say, even at Poxy, where when you come to a 63-yard par three, and you know you should be able to hit your 60 degree to 10 feet, you and your and your son says to you, five bucks closest to the hole, and you stand over the ball. And you've practiced a lot with that club for this spot. And in fact, it's your go-to club, let's say. And you skull it. You <clears throat> you understand. It hurts. it hurts. It can hurt and bother me for three days. Yep. And um, because it's a lack of mastery over the self. It is a lack of mastery over your emotions. It is a lack of mastery over It means something is not aligned. It, you were not able to perform up to your capability when pressure was on the line. And what it makes you do is it makes you ask yourself. Golf makes you ask yourself very difficult questions if you're willing to ask yourself those questions. And I think your book does a great job of talking about the questions that Tiger Woods was asking himself as he was trying to uh see if he could do this again and it does a good job of asking us all some difficult questions about our own um engagement with that journey and yourself personally i think with um your own questions about that journey because for instance you uh I would have liked, I would have liked uh, one more. uh, I want to ask you this. So you do talk about how the cops are known to let people go sometimes in that community. Right. And you don't really ask the question of whether or not they would have let Greg Norman go in that same spot. And I wonder what you think. If Greg Norman is off to the side, and I know you think those officers were heroic and I, I in a good way. You point out if they acted in a bunch of different ways, the thing could have turned tragic in different ways.
1: It could have. Absolutely and, because we've seen it. We know that it we know that it does. Um, um, yeah. Well do you um, think
0: if Greg Norman is over to the side of the road like that and those officers approach him, do you think Greg Norman gets arrested that night?
1: Well, Greg, Greg Norman in 1987, there's no way they're driving him home. S-sleep, sleep it off, buddy, and make sure you don't do it again. Uh, Greg, Greg Norman 2017, yeah, I think uh, this in this particular community, I think people are doing things much more by by the book. I think that's their training. You know, I think uh, people are children, you know, our children's age, we got kids nearly the same age. Uh, they just grew up with a different. and, and oh, these oh, my like other game.
0: My, my other goal in the game is to somehow find a way to uh, be invited to join the membership at, at uh, national golf <laughs> at the national golf club, which uh, I know is an impossible goal. That's my that's my other my uh, other goal uh, is. Uh, uh, it, but I, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. What about yes. Brian in your right
1: in your writing life? I, what would you what how, what uh, role would you like golf to play?
0: Uh, a big listen, Michael. I I. I love golf. I want to be able to get good at it again. I love walking a golf course uh it it always features in our writing uh golf makes there are references and allusions to golf throughout you know as you know in in billions we reference it we reference various different golf clubs we reference various golf modes because I like you I do believe it is a a real test of character Michael what um do you think and this was where we'll we'll wrap up mm-hmm. do you think that uh uh, two things together. Do you think a career like yours is possible for someone starting out today in the world of writing about uh, athletic endeavors? Can someone starting out today build a life uh, with uh, the same kind of toolkit you started out with in in that world? And do you think that the place that Tiger Woods fills in in sport uh can come about again in the in the, the way the landscape currently exists. Uh,
1: I do think to the to the first question, I I do think the answer is yes. Now, when when you were coming up as a writer and and writing rounders, the idea of this episodic series of uh, very complex storytelling, uh, like billions, didn't really exist. I don't think, and it and it it developed, and you developed with it, and you found. A way to do the thing Correct. you love and do well in in, in a new format. Um, uh, so it might be different than it is now, but I think broadly speaking, yes, definitely. I think people love to read. People love to be transported. You know, just as people love to get high and get drunk uh, to be transported, they love to read to get transported and be inspired. And uh, so, yes, I, I think it might take a, It might take a different form. But I think it, the, the written, written the written word will definitely survive and, and thrive, no matter what the delivery system uh, is. And and Tiger Woods uh, uh, the same, uh, because uh, as you know, there was the boys in the boat. Uh, you know, we probably didn't know anything about that until that book was written. There was Sea Biscuit. There was Tiger Woods. Uh, after Tiger Woods, you know, there, there's some 12 year old soccer player in Chile now that we know nothing about who's going to be Tiger, the Tiger Woods of soccer or football. And uh, so, yes, I, I don't. Uh, I, I think there will be other other examples of it in other sports and golf. And uh, you know, the only thought I would have uh, uh, th- about that is that. For my for my to combine the two things we're talking about here at the end is that in my own writing life I'll always be every bit as interested in the Ernie Elses and you know the people who are that close and can't really get there you know like I don't know what's going to happen well uh, just to be that close and not really get there uh, you know as you know we're looking for moments where character reveals itself and if and the character gets revealed itself more efficiently and more and more deeply. And that's it by not winning then winning
0: perfectly said. Um, Hey Michael, I'm about to sign off before I do do not close your browser until it says it's uploaded your audio to me. That's how I get the higher quality audio. So we're going to hang okay. in together for yeah. a, a second after I stop. Okay. Hey, Michael Bamberger. Uh, I want to thank you so much for writing this book. First of all, I want to thank you for your, uh, courtesy to me at the masters. You were, um, uh, very welcoming to me in 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 uh, your your world when when I showed up there and uh, you 're a great writer you 're writing inspiration to me you 've written a couple of books that uh, will always stay on my bookshelf and uh, thanks for that and um, I will take you up on your offer to go play your golf course uh, because I, I had to uh, do childcare the last time you invited me and i couldn 't go but <laughs> kids are uh, grown ups now, so uh, I can definitely uh, I can definitely come. Fantastic. Thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure. Okay, let's... uh, Oh, hey, everybody. Read Michael's book, Second Life of Tiger Woods. It is uh, outstanding. If you want to find me, I'm on social media at Brian Koppelman at Twitter. You can email me, the bk at gmail.com. All right, take care, man.